Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for May 18th through 24th, Mosiah 25 through 28. They were called the people of God. And I want to take a quick moment just to say thank you again for all the love and support that poured in last weekend when I kind of threw my little hissy fit of, <laughs> I don't feel good. I don't want to do this. Like, I don't, you know, I just, I kind of had an overdramatic, I think, reaction to just some negative comments I'd gotten. And it, it wasn't even that bad, but y'all just like poured so much love and care into me that past weekend. And I'm just so grateful for it. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for your love, your prayers, and your support. Um, it really means a lot to me, and I hope you guys know how much it really does mean to me. So again, I'm back again. I'm here this week. We're doing an episode for real, so I'm glad to be back in the saddle again. All right, so this week we're talking about Alma taking over the church from King Mosiah, and also we're talking about the conversion of Alma the Younger. And so there's just some really interesting themes this week as we go through and we talk about the different scriptures. Um, Specifically, I wanted to start out with the first section in Come Follow Me. It says, I am responsible for my own faith and testimony. And that's like the title of this section. But then the section goes in and it starts talking about the rising generation who had, hadn't heard King Benjamin and how they were falling away from the church. So I'm like, what does that have to do with I'm responsible for my own faith and testimony? I'm like, that's kind of interesting, right? I want to read you some of the things that they say here in, in Come Follow Me. It says, we all must experience our own conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you read in Mosiah 26, 1 through 6 about the rising generation of unbelieving Nephites, note the consequences of their unbelief. Okay, so what, what's the consequences of their unbelief? Why was it so bad to have this large group of, of people who didn't believe in the gospel? Well, let's see. I see it specifically in Mosiah 26, verse 6, and it says, And it came to pass that when they did deceive many with their flattering words who were in the church, they did cause them to commit many sins. Therefore, it became expedient that those who committed sin that were in the church should be admonished by the church. Um, interesting phrasing there that they did cause many to commit sin because I don't think that one person's action actually causes someone else to commit the sin. They still have their agency to choose to commit that sin. But I definitely think that peer pressure is a thing, right? And this person over here is a member of the church and they're doing that. Like, so why can't I, right? When I was growing up in high school, you know, I would tell people, hey, I don't drink. It's against my religion. You know, I I hold myself to this standard. And they would say, oh, but so-and-so is a member of your church and she's been drinking at these parties. Why aren't you? You know, and that was always hard to defend myself against, Um, you know, and it was just 
you know, I make different choices and she can make her own choices and that kind of thing. But when you're seeing someone who believes the same way you do, doing something that you don't believe in, yikes, that's kind of hard, right? And so I think that's kind of maybe where some of the other ones kind of like rolled down the hill and committing sin as well. So obviously this is an issue. Obviously it needs to be taken care of, right? So that's why Alma has to take care of it. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the next section. But continuing on with this section of Come Follow Me, it says, you might also think about people whom you wish you could bring to Christ. While you can't give them your conversion, the Spirit may whisper things that you can do to help them find faith. All right, so the first thing that comes to my mind Anytime I talk about converting anyone that's not a member of my church to the church, especially those that I love, and you know, I live with two of them that I love very much that are not members of my church, um, or one that was and now is not, and one that has never been. But the scripture from Alma 37, 6 through 7, and it says, Behold, I say unto you that by small and simple things are great things brought to pass, and small means in many instances doth confound the wise. And the Lord God doth work by means to bring about his great and eternal purposes. So when we are talking about converting someone we love, who maybe has gone astray or made choices that, you know, we don't agree with, small and simple brings great things to pass. Um, I think the example of Alma the Younger having a quick, like, U-turn in his behavior is completely out of the ordinary. Um, ordinary results are not like what you see on TV, right? So I think in this situation, we just have to be small and simple, step by step, day by day, consistently setting a good example for them, talking about Christ, bringing the Spirit into our home consistently, small and simple things. Um, One of my favorite books, and I've talked about it, I know, before on the podcast, is Rescuing Wayward Children by Larry Barkdale. And I totally recommend that you get this, whether it's a child in your family or anybody else, I recommend that you get this book, okay? Because it's so good. But they have a specific chapter, and the chapter is called Personal Sanctification. And it starts out saying, gaining the spiritual capacity to rescue a wayward child or family member comes down to this, sanctifying ourselves. When we ourselves are sanctified, we are in a better position to ask for and receive redeeming blessings for others. And there's a quote in here. This is from M. Catherine Thomas, Alma the Younger, Part 1 from the Neil A. Maxwell Institute. Here's what she says. Parents' personal sanctification exerts a saving influence on their children. With the promise of eternal life, Alma the Elder's power to draw down appropriate grace from his Heavenly Father became very great. When we face similar situations, consolation may come when we remember that life does not end with physical death. When our efforts in this life do not yield the redemption of a loved one, often the only labor that a person can engage in on behalf of his or her loved one is to persist in the personal sanctifying process. Sometimes the most miraculous things happen in relationships as the personal sanctification process goes forward. Um, and I just want to say, I just had to record that line like three different times because I just bawled my way through it the first two times. So, I mean, I definitely believe that as we personally sanctify ourselves, then we can spread that to others. Um, and it actually goes on and gives an example that I want to share with you guys, too. Um, he talks about a situation that occurred with a bishop from southwestern Idaho who counseled four sets of parents concerning their wayward sons. 
Before he did so, he fasted, prayed, and took his question to the temple. Soon an answer formed in his mind. The account of Alma the elder pressed on me, he said, and I knew what had to be done. He remembered that Elder Packer had said asking God opens the doors to answers and blessings. If a person cannot or will not ask for help, then the obligation to ask falls to somebody else. The bishop knew that that the boys would not ask for themselves, so their parents and others must ask for them. When the bishop called the individual couples into his office, he discussed their boys' situations and explained the feelings he had. By virtue of his office, he promised that if they would follow his counsel, which was for their particular situation, they could pray their boys to a crossroads of decision. Now, this is not for everyone. This is just in this particular situation, like the book says, but that they could pray their boys to a crossroads of decision. Like Alma the Younger, the boys would be presented with a conversion opportunity in the Lord's time. At the crossroads, the boys, like Alma, would then have a choice. They could choose to continue on their destructive path and accept the consequences, or they could choose to change and enjoy the rewards. The parents were only to pray to get their boys to the crossroads where the conversion opportunity would be presented. They were not to dictate a method or a timetable, and they were not to bargain with the Lord. In the meantime, they were to recommit to their covenants, relationships, and callings, and they were to attend the temple at least every two weeks to personally place their child's name on the prayer roll. The bishop promised the parents that the deceased people for whom they did proxy work would return the blessing by helping with their boys. The parents reacted differently to this challenge. Remember, there's four different couples involved here. Two embraced it, one was lukewarm, and one discarded it. In that last case where the one that discarded it, the child never changed but grew worse. And in the other three, they actually came back to the church, and their success stories are actually written here in the book. But it was so interesting to me to talk about how, you know, personal sanctification brings others unto Christ. And I think Alma in the situation was doing that very thing. He was seeking the Lord's help, and he was seeking his advice. Now, a word of caution and warning and note Don't think that just because someone in your life has gone astray that you are doing anything wrong. It's not your fault. After all, if we look at Judas, he had the perfect friend, right? Jesus Christ was his friend, his mentor, his teacher. He had the perfect friend, mentor, and teacher, and he still did a big old giant whoopsie, like chose the wrong big time. If we look at Lehi and Nephi, like they were both pillars of righteousness, but yet they had people in their family who chose to go astray. If we look at Adam and Eve, who are just like one generation removed from God, they had a son that committed the first murder. I mean, you know, so our choices, we can sanctify ourselves and then hope that that helps others. And I believe that it does. But if someone does choose to go away or to go astray, that's not your fault. But in the process of sanctifying yourself, you will strengthen yourself to the point that when the that separation does happen or they do start pulling away, you know who to cling on to. Um, I had dinner with a good friend a couple of weeks ago. It was like right before all this COVID stuff happened. And, you know, she was asking like, how do you handle this? You know, she was going through something similar that I have in my home. And she's like, how do you handle it? How do you stay strong when all this is going on? And I looked at her and I said, you know, I just have no other choice. Um, I have to be the one in my household holding on to the gospel because I'm it. 
You know, there's no other choice. And so when push came to shove and I had to make a choice, do I choose, you know, what my husband is telling me or do I choose what the gospel has told me my whole life? I clung to my testimony of the Savior and of the gospel and it clung back to me. And that's just how I get through it. It's just holding on so tightly. It's not always easy. I mean, there's definitely times where, you know, we have conversations, and I'm saying that with quotation marks, about the church. But, I mean, it's it's my rock, and it's my foundation. And so anyone going through something similar, cling to the gospel. And in doing that, the sanctification process of, again, renewing your covenants, staying true and obedient to the things that you know, praying for that person, attending the temple, putting their name on the prayer roll. That's all stuff that will sanctify you, but at the same time, it will also bless the people in your life. So I wanted to point that out there. That's something that just really impressed me this week because I was thinking about, you know, that whole sentence of I am responsible for my own faith and testimony, but that can also help others by small and simple means. Okay, so that's the first section in Come Follow Me this week. Second section is God's faithful servants seek to do his will. And oh boy, this is a doozy of a section. I've thought about this one a lot. Um, It says, sometimes we might think that a church leader like Alma always knows the right thing to do. In Mosiah 26, we read a problem in the church that Alma had never dealt with, and he feared that he should do wrong in the sight of God. What did Alma do in this situation? Okay, let's take a quick look and see what exactly the problem was. We've talked about it a little bit about the younger generation falling away from the church, but specifically in 13, it says, and now the spirit of Alma was again troubled and he went again and inquired of the Lord what he should do concerning the matter for he feared that he should do wrong in the sight of God. So just a little rewind, you know, to kind of set the situation up. Um, So in verse 12, back before 13, where Alma's like, I think I'm going to do something wrong. In 12, it says, King Mosiah said unto Alma, behold, I judge them not, therefore I deliver them into thy hands to be judged. Don't you know Alma was just like, thanks, Mosiah. Like, thank you. So here he is, the brand new kind of like head of the church there. And Mosiah's like, okay, so these guys are causing trouble. Here you go. Take care of them. It's a spiritual matter. You get it. So this is probably one of Alma's big first trials, I guess, as he um, is a leader there in the church. And, oh, it's, it's got to be a hard one. Like, I feel for Alma in this. I am non-confrontational. Like, I hate confrontation. I hate bringing up people's flaws to them and pointing it out to them. I'll think about their flaws all day in my mind because I'm super judgy and I'm working on that, guys. I'm really working on that. But to say it out loud to their faces, like, I have a really hard time with that. And to say it in a constructive and manner in which, like, it will be well-received and will not offend them and push them away from the church. Like as a leader, that is really hard. Um, I had to do that with a couple different things in my time as a primary president. And it was part of probably the hardest part of the entire calling was talking to somebody about something that they were doing that wasn't right, that we needed them to do it a different way. I hated it. Hated that part. Hated, hated, hated. And there was so much prayer that went into those meetings. So now when I see someone come up to me and be like, hey, so I really need you to do this this differently. I'm like, oh, I just, you know, if you're anything like me, you just spent like two days praying over this conversation. I'm like, okay, I'll do it differently. But it's hard. It's hard to talk to someone and to say the right thing that you know that the Lord wants to be said, but still not push that person away. 
Oh my gosh. It's like one of the hardest things I've ever done. So I thought I felt a lot for Alma in this particular section. And it says, it might be interesting to list the truths that God revealed to Alma found in Mosiah 26, 15 through 32. Notice that some of these truths are not in direct response to Alma's question. So I wanted to go through and take apart that whole little section that it's talking about there, Alma 26, 15 through 32. And it was interesting to me because this is a revelation that's being given to Alma. However, it reminded me a lot of a priesthood blessing. Like it's got different parts in it that I feel like were very similar to priesthood blessings that I get. Um, For instance, the first part of it, which is 15 through 20, is basically like, I see you, Alma. Like, I see you. I see what you're doing. You're doing a good job, Alma. I'm I'm mindful of you. And it, re- it reminds me of every time I get a priesthood blessing where, you know, the Lord is mindful of you. The Lord knows you. The Lord is proud of you. The Lord wants you to continue doing this or, you know, this. Um, it's just kind of like I think about my son when he's at football practice and his coach sees him like working really hard and doing something good. And he says, I see you. I see you over there. You know, and that's kind of what I see the Lord doing to Alma. Here's what he says. Blessed art thou, Alma, and blessed are they who are baptized in the waters of Mormon. So he's recognizing that, Alma, you're blessed and you did a good thing, right? Thou art blessed because of thy exceeding faith in the words alone of my servant Abinadi. And blessed are they because of their exceeding faith in the words alone which thou hast spoken unto them. Blessed art thou, because thou hast established a church among this people, and they shall be established, and they shall be my people. Yea, blessed is this my people who are willing to bear my name, for in my name shall they be called, and they are mine. And because thou hast inquired of me concerning the transgressor, thou art blessed. Thou art my servant. And I covenant with thee that thou shalt have eternal life and thou shalt serve me and go forth in my name and shalt gather together my sheep. Okay, pause. So that's like the, I see you, Alma, kind of part of the prayer or uh, not prayer. See, I even think it's a blessing. Like I'm in my mind, I'm seeing it as a priesthood blessing, but it's actually a revelation to Alma from his heavenly father. And like, I just see it like where he's telling him, I'm so proud of you and what you've accomplished so far. You're doing a great job. You are blessed. You know, I'm with you. And before we go and talk to someone and have that confrontation, sometimes that we have to do as a church leader or make the decision that we have to make as church leaders, um, knowing where we stand with the Lord, I think would be very helpful. And so I think that was probably what was going on here. Like, Alma, I realize that you are going to be doing something that is very hard for you. That's very difficult. But let's look at all the ways that you've been successful in the past. So number one, I'm mindful of you, but also I'm mindful of all the ways that you've done right in the past, that you've made correct choices in the past, that you've led righteously in the past. Like, let's pump up, you know, your sense of worth and your sense of self-esteem as a leader here a little bit so that when you go into this tricky thing, you don't feel like you're totally floundering. Like you've been a leader before. You've led people to the gospel before and blessed are they because of what you have done. So Let's remember that as we continue into like the hard stuff. I think that's what he's saying to Alma. Then there's the second part here, which is kind of like, I don't know, I want to think of it as like doctrinal, where he's kind of expounding some doctrine to Alma as he's, you know, God is revealing the stuff to Alma. He's revealing some of his doctrine. And so this is, I see it as kind of like 21 to 28. It says, and he that will hear my voice shall be my sheep, and him shall you receive into the church, and him will I also receive. 
For behold, this is my church, and whosoever is baptized shall be baptized unto repentance. And whosoever shall receive shall believe in my name, and him will I freely forgive. For it is I that taketh upon me the sins of the world. For it is I that hath created them, and it is I that granteth unto him that believeth unto the end a place at my right hand. For behold, in my name are they called, and if they know me, they shall come forth and shall have a place eternally at my right hand. And it shall come to pass that when the second trump shall sound, then they shall they that shall never knew me come forth and shall stand before me. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, and I am their Redeemer, but they would not be redeemed. And then I will confess unto them that I never knew them, and they shall depart into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Therefore I say unto you that he will not hear he that will not hear my voice, the same shall ye not receive into my church, for I will not receive at the last day. So right there I see God and Jesus Christ is actually who's talking here. I see Jesus kind of expounding his role as his redeemer. And, you know, those who follow me and are called by my name, you know, they will be redeemed. But this is what happens when someone just in general, not even in your church right now, Alma, but this is just what happens in the grand scheme of things when someone does not accept me. Like this is what's going to happen. Plan of salvation time. Although it's interesting to note, I don't think that Alma had the full plan of salvation quite yet. You know, we need to remember Alma is still very young in his gospel journey. You know, he was converted by Benedi, then he had the, you know, Waters of Mormon situation, but this still has only been like a couple of years, maybe at most, right? So he's still really, really young in his testimony. He's still building this relationship with the Lord and still receiving revelation. So maybe they just haven't gotten to the three degrees of glory type part of the plan of salvation yet, which is why he's talking to Alma in a language that he understands and Alma if he's actually learning after the manner of the Jews, would be familiar with the idea of fire and everlasting torment and stuff as hell as he knows it. So it's interesting to me to see Alma in this section of progress that he's in spiritually at this point. And I'm sure as he got further along that, you know, he got things expounded to him a little bit more. But this is where he is in his progress right now that he just understands like good or bad, right? There's He doesn't understand the degrees. Anyways, sorry, that was a rabbit trail heading on back. So that's where I see the doctrine, where he's saying, Alma, here's who I am. Here's how I love my children. Here's what happens to them when they come to me. And maybe they haven't made all the best choices. So this is what I'm going to do. So knowing this doctrine and knowing who you are as a leader, this is how I want you to carry out this doctrine here on earth. And then we see that in verses 29 to 32. Where he says, therefore, I say unto you, go, and whosoever transgresseth against me, him shall ye judge according to the sin which he has committed. And if he confess his sins before thee and me, and repenteth in the sincerity of heart, him shall ye forgive, and I will forgive him also. Yea, and as often as my people repent, will I forgive them their trespasses against me. And ye shall also forgive one another your trespasses. For verily I say unto you, he that forgiveth not his neighbor's trespasses, when he says that he repents, the same hath brought himself under condemnation. Now I say unto you, go, and whosoever will not repent of the sins, the same shall not be numbered among my people. And this shall be observed from this time forward. 
Okay, so he's telling Alma, if they are obviously, you know, not keeping the standards of the church, the things that you've set, that they have transgressed against me is the exact words that are used, then judge them as being, you know, appropriate with the church or inappropriate. And if they have trespassed against him, then they shall not be numbered among my people from this time forward. Whew, that would be hard. That would be a hard conversation to have, especially at this point. You know, I have to think Alma the elder probably had a little, you know, maybe eight to 10 year old son. And he's seeing this behavior of like some of the teenagers and young adults in the church. And don't you know, he was wondering like, I really hope this doesn't rub off on my son. I really hope this doesn't rub off on my son. Maybe are there some tendencies there that I need to be worried about? Like, you know, as a parent, I think I would be very concerned with the influence that this culture was having on my kid. Um, I also thought, too, how interesting it was that Alma was going in and dealing with people who were rebelling against the church, which is the same thing that Alma kind of did there in the court of King Noah. So Alma, who has experience of being on this side of the, you know, the law, is now on the other side, and he has to work with people who are transgressing the law. Um, and I wonder if his experience of being in King Noah's court and, you know, doing things that he wasn't supposed to, if that's part of why this was so hard for him. If he knew, like, at that point that it would be really hard for anyone to reach his heart, except for Abinadi and his piercing message, you know, can I be as good as the Benedite at reaching other people's hearts. I guess that that might be something I would wonder. I don't know if he wondered that or not, but or if that even factored into his thoughts. But I have to think that having the background that he did, that that would be something I would think about. Like, how can I reach them when I was unreachable myself? And I wonder if that is going to play into, you know, his interactions with Alma the Younger, too. Because then, you know, a couple years down the road, after Alma, you know, makes this big, I guess, judgment or whatever there in the church, um, his son starts exhibiting some of these signs. And did Alma's, the elder's background in the court of King Noah, did that help him recognize some of the things that Alma the younger was doing? Um, I think as a parent myself, having gone through mental illness and different, you know, depression and anxiety and stuff growing up, when my son started exhibiting signs, oh, you best believe we were in like therapist's office and, you know, as soon as we could get in there, um, much, much younger age than when I first went to go see a therapist, like post-college, right? And he's like 11 and we were in the therapist's office um, because it was something I'd been through. And so I knew to watch out for that. I think as a parent, some of the hardest things that we've ever been through, we can use then as teaching guides to help us look for those signs in our kids. And am I seeing this in my kid? And if so, how do I mediate that? You know, um, and I see also, it's really interesting when I went in and read this week um, in Alma, let's see, where was I? Alma 27. In 14, this is where the angel comes down and talks to Alma the Younger. And he tells Alma the Younger, Behold, the Lord hath heard the prayers of his people and also the prayers of his servant Alma, who is thy father. For he has prayed with much faith concerning thee that thou mightest be brought to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, interesting here is that not only was Alma praying for Alma the Younger to be brought to the knowledge of the truth, but the people were also praying. I don't necessarily know that they were praying for Alma the Younger specifically. Maybe they were. Maybe the ministering brethren were were praying for Alma the Younger. I don't know. But 
I think that they were praying for those who had fallen away from the church or who were persecuting the church. How interesting was it that they were praying for their persecutors, you know? Um, and what a good lesson that is on forgiveness and love. And then, you know, I have to think that if they'd been praying so hard for Alma the Younger, when he does come back and is born again, you know, he was probably readily received because they had been praying and kept keeping that line of love open to him. Um, I also think that it was interesting to combine their prayers with the prayers of a father. There was strength in praying together, and I firmly believe that. And I think we've even seen that in some of like the worldwide fasts and things like that that we've had recently, that there's power when we unite together in prayer. And I think that's what was happening in this community, that they were uniting in prayer for these, you know, lost sons who were going around persecuting the church. And then the result of it was, ta-da! angel appearing like a mail order angel for Alma, you know? Um, and it's interesting to me too, what Alma prayed for. He prayed concerning thee that thou might be brought to the knowledge of the truth. So not only was he praying like, please bring back, you know, keep my kid from knocking the church around and persecuting the church, but bring him to the knowledge of the truth, help him truly convert to you and to your gospel. And so the angel says, for this purpose, have I come to convince thee of the power and the authority of God, that the prayers of his servants, again, that's in plural, it's not just servant Alma, but it's servants, so there's multiple people praying, might be answered according to their faith. And then the angel goes in and kind of, you know, knocks him over the head a little bit because he needed it. He was a knothead. He needed to be knocked around. So one of the things that was interesting to me was verse 16, what the angel is talking to him what the angel's saying when he's talking to him. He says, Now I say unto thee, Go and remember the captivity of thy fathers in the land of Helam and in the land of Nephi, and remember how great things he has done for them. For they were in bondage, and he delivered them. And now I say unto thee, Alma, Go thy way, and seek to destroy the church no more. That their prayers, multiple prayers, that's plural, so not just Alma's, but again, multiple prayers, may be answered. And this, even if thou wilt of thyself be cast off. So if you go in and you actually look at the footnotes there of this, even if thyself might be cast off, um, some interesting footnotes are there. Alma 3047 is where thyself takes us to. And Alma 3047 says, But behold, it is better that thy soul should be lost than that thou shouldst bring down the means of bringing many souls down to destruction by thy lying and by thy flattery and words. Therefore, if thou shalt deny again, behold, God shalt smite thee, that thou shalt become dumb, that thou shalt never open thy mouth any more, that thou shalt not deceive this people any more. This is Alma when he's talking to Korahor, you know, Alma the Younger, who's having this experience now. This is like four words in the future where he's talking to Korahor. And I have to wonder when he's standing there saying this, is he remembering the angel when he said, you know, if you don't shape up, you're going to be cast off. And Alma's telling Korhor, if you don't shape up, then you're basically going to be struck dumb so that you can't continue to hurt the church. Right? Um, I wonder if Alma kind of had a similar, like, oh, if, if I don't shape up, then, you know, something's going to happen to me either where I can't communicate or maybe even I might be killed. You know, cast off is pretty serious. And if you go and you look at the footnote scriptures for cast off there in Micah, in the Old Testament, and they are very Old Testamenty. So, um, yeah, there's lots of like chopping flesh into pieces, and uh, you know, you know, it gets the Old Testamenty. You know what I mean? So, 
yeah, you don't want to be the one that has to get chopped off so that the church will be okay, right? You don't want to be that person. And that's what the angel's telling Alma, like, the church is going on and it's going to be all right, even if we have to, you know, cast you away. And so Alma says, now it came to pass that with these last words, which the angel spake unto Alma, he departed. He's like, peace out. This is my parting thing that shape up or else you'll be cast off, right? And Alma and those that were with him fell again to the earth, for great was their astonishment. Yeah, I'd be astonished too, Alma, I think. And then I love that they take Alma the younger and those who are with him. They take them to Alma the elder, and Alma the elder rejoices. And it says in 20, And they rehearsed unto his father all that had happened unto them. And his father rejoiced, for he knew that it was the power of God. And he's rejoicing even as Alma in 19, it says, the astonishment of Alma was so great that he became dumb, that he could not open his mouth, yea, and he became weak, even that he could not move his hands. Therefore, he was taken by those who are with him and carried helpless, even until he was laid before his father, and then his father rejoices, because he knows what the Lord has done. I don't know. I think it's just kind of an interesting reaction that Alma the elder had to that. And then we get some really great profound doctrine. So Alma is struck dumb. And then Alma the elder calls all the priests together. Again, this is the multitude praying for the one. Um, has great, great impact in the story to me. It 22, he says, And he caused that the priests should assemble themselves together. And they began to fast and to pray to the Lord their God that he would open the mouth of Alma and that he might speak and also that his limbs might receive their strength, that the eyes of the people might be open to see and know the goodness and the glory of God. So this is the same kid who's been going around, this little punk, kind of persecuting the church. But now Alma the elder is gathering all the priests together saying, hey, let's all fast and pray for this child. Um, I don't know. It's just, I just love their attitudes in this. And then in 23, and it came to pass that after they had fasted and prayed for the space of two days and two nights, the limbs of Alma received their strength, and he stood up and began to speak unto them, bidding them to be of good comfort. For said he, I have repented of my sins, and I have been redeemed of the Lord. Behold, I am born of the Spirit. And the Lord said unto me, Marvel not that all mankind, yea, men and women, all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, must be born again. Yea, born of God, changed from their carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness, being redeemed of God, becoming his sons and daughters. Thus they become new creatures, and unless they do this, they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. And then in 27, and I say unto you, unless this be the case, they must be cast off. <laughs> Alma the younger knows what cast off means, right? Um, and he says this, I know, because I was like to be cast off. Um, it's interesting to me that the first thing Alma pops up and starts talking about is being born again. It makes me wonder if that was one of his hangups when he was persecuting the church. Like he was just kind of stuck on the concept of being born again. I don't need to be born again. Why should I be born again? You know, and so that was one of the first things that came to him when he popped up was like, okay, so this whole thing about being born again, of course, it's very apropos to the situation because he is laying down his old self, which was persecuting the church and very much like Saul and becoming like Paul, you know, being born again. This also reminded me a lot. The whole idea of being born again reminded me of our come follow me um, from last year where we were reading John three with Nicodemus. And it's John three, verse three. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? 
Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So remembering back to Come Follow Me last year when we were talking about John 3 um, and Nicodemus, in my episode, I had to give Nicodemus an apology because for the longest time, I thought Nicodemus was smarting off to Jesus. Like when Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is like, what? How, how can he do that? Crawl back inside his mother's womb? Like what? I thought he was being a smart aleck. Well, it turns out as I was thinking about it, I'm like, I am familiar with the concept of being born again because you know, I've been hurt. I've heard it all my life. Not only have I heard it at church, but uh, y'all, I'm in the epicenter of the born agains, like here in the South, everyone's born again. And so that's a concept I heard at church. It's a concept I heard at school. It's a concept I heard from my friends. Um, you know, born again is a very familiar concept to me. If I had grown up as Nicodemus had without having ever heard those two words put together, born again, and not understanding what Jesus was saying, would I have understood what that meant? And so I, I owed Nicodemus an apology. And I'm like, I don't think he was being a smart Alec. I think he was um, honestly asking, like, how does this happen? And so Alma says the same thing here in 27, where he says, Marvel not that all mankind, all men and women, all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people must be born again, born of God. So we have our physical birth where, you know, we are given a body here on earth, but then we must be born of God, changed from our carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness. Um, I think sometimes too, again, results may vary, right? Alma was born again and converted in a very short period of time, this little two-day turnaround that he had. For the rest of us, I think that the conversion, the being born again, takes place over the course of our lifetime. Um, very few of us are going to have a U-turn the same way like Alma the Younger and also Paul did. I think instead ours is going to be borne out over the course of our lives. And if we actually go into gospel topics on the churchofjesuschrist.org, I love our gospel topics there because they are so succinct. Like this is what we believe. And here it is laid out, you know, black and white, and it's perfect. They have a whole section on conversion. And it says, conversion includes a change in behavior, but it goes beyond behavior. It is a change in our very nature. It is such a significant change. The Lord and his prophets refer to it as rebirth, a change of heart, a baptism of fire. The Lord said, and this is going to sound real familiar, guys. We just read it. Marvel not that all mankind, yea, men and women, all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people must be born again. Yea, born of God, changed from their carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness, being redeemed of God, becoming his sons and daughters. And thus they become new creatures. Unless they do this, they can no wise inherit the kingdom of God. But then, Gospel Topics goes on to say, Conversion is a process, not an event. Conversion comes as a result of righteous efforts to follow the Savior. These efforts include exercising faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of sin, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end in faith. All right, although conversion is miraculous and life-changing, it is a quiet miracle. Angelic visitations and other spectacular occurrences do not bring conversion. Even Alma, who saw an angel, became converted only after he fasted and prayed many days for a witness of the truth, and he tells us about that in Alma 5.46. 
Paul, who saw the resurrected Savior, taught that no man can save that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. So interesting to me, you know, and I've talked before that miracles and flashy spiritual fireworks don't convert. What converts is a testimony of the doctrine, a testimony of Jesus Christ. And so Alma, even though he had an angel appear to him, still had to make that converting like journey, conversion journey, I guess that we all do, because he had to have that slow kind of burning testimony of the gospel as well. Um, An example of angels appearing to people and it not taking would be like, you know, Laman and Lemuel. They had angels appearing to them, right? But they were like, oh, we'll be so good. And then like three days later, Nephi, you're bad. And they're punching him. So, you know, angels and miracles don't always convert. They can set you on the path towards that slow kind of building of conversion, but they don't convert immediately and long-term. I guess they convert immediately, but they don't convert long-term. What converts long-term is like what Paul says, no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. That subtle whispering of the Holy Ghost to us constantly throughout our life and having those different spiritual experiences where we're seeking out the Lord and seeking those spiritual experiences where we're seeking to do his will and to be his hands and to learn the things that he wants us to learn. That's when true conversion comes about. And again, it's not an immediate process. It's going to be something that we are doing the rest of our lives. I see it a lot like exercise. Where, you know, if I want to get big and buff, then I have to work out, right? And I have to continually work out. If I stop, like, using that treadmill, then I lose some of that muscle tone. If I stop working out, I start losing muscle tone. We've got to keep working out to keep up our spiritual muscles in shape. You know, that's what I see conversion as. So, I don't know. That's that's a lot of what I was thinking about in that particular section of Come Follow Me. Um And it it goes into the next question where it says, what experiences have helped convince you of the power and authority of God? What great things has the Lord done for you or your family that you should remember? Okay, so I started thinking about this and I'm like, you know, they say great things. And that would tend to make me think like big kind of miraculous like angel things. And so I started thinking about that. And yeah, I've had some of those experiences where I'm like, there is no other way that this could have happened except for from God. But here's the thing. When I go in and I start thinking about all the ways that God has been good and great to me, all the ways that my testimony has increased over the years, it goes back to that scripture of the small and simple things are great things brought to pass. All those small moments where I feel the spirit or I feel my savior's love, all those small moments where I pray and I reconnect with my heavenly father, all those small moments spent in contemplation of him and his goodness and his sacrifice and how I can become more like him and how I can better align my will to his. It's a lifetime of those small moments coming together that culminates in the great things that God has done for me in my life. Um, Just knowing that he's there and that he's mindful of me is one of the greatest gifts in my life that he knows what's going on in my life and he wants to be invested in it. Like, to me, that is a great thing that I should remember. And I know that's not particularly, like, interesting or exciting or anything like that, but I feel like that has more of an impact on me on a day-to-day basis than even remembering, like, the great spectacular things that he's done in my life. Just remembering that he's always there, that he will always love me, that he sent his son and his son knows what I have gone through and feels it personally when I go through hard stuff. Um, to me, that brings me more to remembrance of him than any one other point. 
I guess if that makes sense. And I think that's probably just where I am in my journey right now too. Maybe, you know, a year from now, something great and fantastic will happen and I'll be like, oh no, that's totally going to convert me. I don't know. It's just the small and simple things is really what I was thinking about this week. The small and simple things are what's converted me throughout my life and continues to convert me. And so then Come Follow Me says, what do you learn from Alma the Younger's words and actions about what it means to be born again? So not only was it his words, but then his actions where he went out and he wanted to convert others and help others become born again. When we truly are born again, we also want to help others experience that same sweet fruit that we've partaken of. And then we need to reach out and help our brothers and sisters come to Christ. All right, we are almost out of time, but I did want to touch on the very last section here. It says, God hears my prayers and will answer them according to his will. It says, maybe you know a parent in Alma the Elder's situation whose son or daughter is making destructive choices, or maybe you are that parent. What do you find in Mosiah 27, 14, 19 through 24 that gives you hope? And how might these verses influence your prayers in behalf of others? So we've read a lot of those scriptures. We've talked a little bit about that. But I think what gives me hope is that Heavenly Father was mindful of Alma. And he even says when he appears to Alma the Younger, you know, I'm not going to let your father's prayers go in vain. And so that shows me how many times Alma had probably prayed for his son and the others had probably prayed for his for Alma's son and that Heavenly Father heard them, even if they weren't answered in that moment. And I think a lot of times when we pray, we expect answers immediately. But especially in the case of someone who is making destructive choices or has chosen a different path, it's going to be a long road of small and simple. And so I think that's how I'm changing my prayers. It's not, you know, for anything miraculous to happen, but just small and simple ways that I can stand up and be a better example of the believers, I guess, in my home. Also, how might these verses influence your prayers in behalf of others? Others who are struggling the same way that I am, I need to pray for them. Those who have family members who have left the church or who have become antagonistic towards the church, pray for them. Because again, we saw that example of Alma. It wasn't just Alma praying. It was all of those around him that were also praying too. So banding together in unity and praying for those who need us. I think that's one of the best things that we can do for each other. Um, reaching out and holding hands through prayer kind of is how, how I visualize that. Um, and sending those prayers up to God. So that's kind of what it made me think. That That is how it influenced my prayers on behalf of others. So anyways, guys, this Lots of good stuff this week. Lots of good things to think about. I know there was lots of reading. I hope I kept it at like an even speed. I was trying really hard. (laughs) The whole speed thing is throwing me off because I'm just naturally such a fast talker that I'm trying really hard to slow it up. Um, And so I hope it was a good speed for you. So anyways, guys, I hope you're having a good week. I hope you are healthy and well, and I hope things are going good in your family. I love you guys. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. 
comments or question, email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.